All right, we're in the journey of Job, and 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 this week, this is how to, to looking at Job and how to de- develop a demanding spirit, and and this is a, a, a phenomenal. Uh, this sounds very arrogant. A phenomenal uh, sermon. This is actually predominantly an outline that Pastor Steve from Hope Community Church downtown. Um, has uh, shared in in the past, and it just has changed my outlook on the view of Job and made it a lot more practical to me as a person maybe going through suffering or counseling people through suffering. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Again, if you're looking at the PowerPoint, there's some artwork on there by an artist named Chris Coley uh, from a poem that John Piper wrote. Um, I'm not quoting any of the poem today, um, but uh, if you're following along, that's what's going on. So what is this book all about? Does Job worship God out of genuine love or because of God's blessing? We're going to see Job lose all of his wealth. He's incredibly wealthy. He's going to lose 10 kids, and his wife is going to say, curse God and die. I don't like seeing you suffer. I hate seeing you in pain, and I would rather you look God in the face and say, die, and therefore I wouldn't have to see you suffer. And in Job chapter 2, verse 10, it says, in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. But what we're going to see now is we're going to see Job, and there's a lot of passages I could have chosen to prove this point. This Isaiah 55, 6 through 11, that we're going to see this side of God, that he is all-powerful, he is almighty, he is in control, even when we don't see it, even when we don't get it, and we can't comprehend it. This is Isaiah. Let me just read this passage. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unright forsake their ways and the unrighteous their their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That Job is going to come face to face here within chapter 4 all the way through 37 that God is God and man is man. And so how is it that Job develops this demanding spirit? Because we look at Job 2, verse 10. It says that in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. All these horrific things happen. And then yet in chapter 42, verse 6, Job says to God, Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. So how does this happen? How, How do we get from righteous Job who does not sin with his thoughts, with his words, all the way to, I repent in dust and ashes as if I were dead. How does this happen? Well, there's these counseling sessions that go on between his friends, Job, and his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and at the end, Elihu. And they're going to go back and forth. They're going to share some things, and Job's going to respond. And so I only have a couple things that his friends say today, but mainly focusing on Job's uh, response. So what is it that Job is saying? Job starts very well, right? And, and what I want you to do during this, I'm, I'm talking about Job, right? This is a story about Job. The question is, where are you, right? Personally, where are you in the midst of suffering, whether that's 
past suffering, current suffering, and, and, and um, hopefully future suffering that we're getting ahead of this, that you're able to look at Scripture and say, okay, where, where am I at? And where do I simply need to just repent and turn to God and give it to God? And so we're going to see that Job starts very well. In Job 1, 20 through 22, this is after his, all of his wealth and his children were taken from him. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And then in Job 2, 9, his wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? It's that integrity, the same exact language that's used about Job when Satan says, You're, you're putting a hedge around him. You're protecting him. That's the only reason why he loves you. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one righteous like him. There is no one like him. He is full of integrity. And now his wife says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Right from the Psalms, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You are saying there is no God. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. But then the reality of pain sets in. This is Job 3, 1 through 4, 11 through 12, and 23 through 26. It says this. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. The pain is now setting in of his loss. He says, may the day of my birth perish. And the night it was said, a boy is born. That day may it turn to darkness and may God above not care about it and may no light shine upon it. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me in breasts that I might be nursed? Why is this life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sign comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me and I... What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. And so we know his suffering. That's where we're at. And in the midst of our suffering, in this, the pain sets in the reality of that. How do we respond? Well, what we see is that pain is fertile, fertile soil for a demanding spirit. Pain is just good ground for a demanding spirit. And so this is from Eliphaz. And Eliphaz is going to bring something up, and it's going to be the phrase, my cause. It's from Job 5 through 6. Eliphaz says this, For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Right? This isn't happening just for no reason here, Job. Yet man is born to trouble surely as sparks fly upward. But if it were I, Job, if, if I were in your position, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. And right there, this seed of my cause is planted. And it's going to be watered, and it's going to begin to, to germinate and be fed false nutrients from Job's mind, and it's going to sprout, and it's going to receive false sunlight and exposure from Job's friends until it is a full-grown, twisted, and malnourished reed that chokes the truth and life out of Job. And here we're going to see that listening to false voices or authority and even the devil can set in and plant that seed when, as Luther, we just sang, you're a liar. 
You're a liar, devil. That's not what happens. This cause sinks in deep. And so Job then responds in chapter 6, 1 through 3 and 8 through 9. Job replied, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery placed on the scales, right? I want to go to court. I want my cause to be heard. It would surely outweigh the sands of the sea. No wonder my words have been impetuous. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and to cut me off. This is my cause. I'm right. And then it moves in that the start of a demanding spirit, what is it? The start of a demanding spirit is excessive complaining. And I, I got really convicted during this. I, I think I, sometimes I joke about complaining, but I, I'm a complainer. I just complain, even like I said, even just kind of silly sometimes, but I still do it. I'm just complaining. Am I, am I deeply in my heart bitter about certain things? I mean, I, I really had to examine myself this week. But here's what Job says in chapter 7, 7 through 11. He says, remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. The eye that now sees me will see me no longer. You will look for me, but I will be no more. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who goes down to the grave does not return. He will never come to this house again. His place will know him no more. Therefore, I will not be kept silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit and I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Right, as that pain sets in, he's gonna say, this is bad, this is really bad and why did you do this, God? And then he's gonna actually say, if only I could get my day in court with him. This is Job 8, five through six. This is actually Bildad now saying, looked at this last week about different views on bad theology. He says, but if you would look to God and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. That's bad theology. That being upright doesn't mean blessing. That being wicked doesn't always mean punishment. Not in this life. But just because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good man and I'm a, I'm a Christian, I confess my sin and I love Jesus, doesn't mean that everything's going to be rainbows and sunshine. It's not the case. And just because I'm wicked doesn't mean I'm, I'm for sure getting COVID-19. That's not what, that's not, that's really bad theology. But Job is going to respond with this. Yeah, I want my day in court. Job chapter 9, 1 through 3 and 14 through 15. Then Job replied, indeed, I know that this is true. But how can a mortal be righteous before God, though one wished to dispute it with him? He could not answer him one time out of a thousand. How then can I dispute with him? How can I find words to argue with him though I were innocent? I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. And then something's going to shift here and he's going to start to question God's integrity. In Job chapter 10, 1 through 3, he says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? Whoa, 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 right? He's, he's attacking God's integrity. Okay, it pleases you to oppress me even though I'm righteous, and yet you smile on the wicked. 
That's his accusation now. He's questioning God's integrity. And then we're just going to now see a full blown demanding spirit is going to be now present in Job's life in Job 13, 13 through 19. He says, keep silent and let me speak. Then let, then let come to me what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Right? That's one of those uh, coffee mug phrases. Right? It's, it's great. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. I will hope in him. This is coming from the darkest complaint of Job. Though he slay me, yeah, I'm going to talk to him. He owes this to me. And what I love about that, taking this verse out of context, it doesn't even take the whole verse. The whole verse says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. I mean, if you're going to take a verse out of context, at least take the whole verse out of context. But it doesn't do that. Though he slay me, I will hope in him, right? He's the only one who can vindicate me. I want my day in court and I'm going to have it. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. For no godless man would dare come before him. Listen carefully to my words. Let your ears take in what I say. Now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. That's his spirit. I've, I've done no wrong. God, you, you glory in the fact that you're suffering, that you're making me suffer, and the wicked are rejoicing I'm going to have my day in court. You will hear me, God. And he cries out, if only there were justice in Job 19, 5 through 7. It says, if indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then I would know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Though I cry, I've been wronged. I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. And this is such a human response. It really is. This is a human response to say, I've done nothing wrong here. Why, why, why am I suffering? What is, what is happening here? And, and as I was studying this, I was reminded of this painting that I once saw in the Louvre, uh, in the Louvre over in, in France. Um, and, and it's called uh, Les Voix à la Madone. Uh, which just means uh, the prayer to Madonna, 1825. When I was walking through the Louvre, and I'm not, I'm not, I love art, I really do, but I, you know, I don't get too, what's the word? This is where I need feedback, right? Metaphysical, it's not the, it's not the right word. Um, about art, I don't get, I don't, I don't overthink it, okay? And, and so uh, we were walking through the Louvre, and I saw, this was Five years ago now, uh, Angela and I took a vacation over there, our five-year anniversary. And there's a lot of paint painting uh, at the Louvre, if you didn't know that. Like, a lot. And, and there are certain things that I was like, wow, that's beautiful, that's good. There was this one painting, this painting by Jean-Victor Schnitz. <laughs> it's French, I think. Um, it's this painting of these two parents... And they, and they go into a chapel or, or some kind of cathedral or and they've got this sick kid. Right? The kid, the child is just pale. And you can just see the cries of agony on the parents' faces as they have this child. And this struck me before I had kids, right? I'm getting emotional just thinking about this painting. 
as they cry out, is this justice? It, is, this, is this really right in your eyes? And we have to ask ourselves, just like Job, and we have to arrive at a conclusion and ask the questions, what is justice? And is God's view of justice different than my view of justice? And I think next week we're going to actually get a couple answers to that. But right now, Job is just screaming at God. This isn't justice. And Job expects to win his case, Job 23, 1 through 7. Then Job replied, Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say. Would he oppose me with great power? No, he would not press charges against me. There, an upright man could present his case before him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Right? I'm good. And, if, and if, if God is who I think he is, and if I am upright and just, then I would be delivered. But then Job is going to realize, yeah, I guess that's not how this works because God's God. Job 23, 13 through 15, but he stands alone. And who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me and many such plans he still has in store. That is why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. And then he's going to scream and yell, I have been wronged. I will have my day in court, Job 26, 1 through 5, and 31, 35 to 37. And Job continued in his discourse, as surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty, who has made me taste bitterness from soul as long as I have life within me and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness and my tongue will utter no deceit. I'm just. I will never admit, God, that you are right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put forth, his, put forth his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account for every step like a prince. I would approach him. I am blameless. And what we know from Scripture, and we could spend a lot of time talking about this, then we could look at this and say that there is no one who is just, there is no one who is good, that our hearts are deceitful and wicked, that we've sinned. And even in the midst of suffering, again, looking back at last week, hey, a quick, easy answer is, hey, we're all sinners, man. It's just part of living in a fallen world. we got to be really careful with that. But the truth of this is the demanding spirit of saying, I'm good. God says there's only one who is good. And it is the God man, Christ Jesus. And that we need to have our faith in him. And that's hard to do. And so there are so many examples that we could look to in scripture to look at applications for how not to develop a demanding spirit. But one that I want to go to is the apostle Paul. So how do we not develop a demanding spirit? One is go to God with your request. 
there's at least, uh, what, 150 psalms uh, that, that do this, that they're crying out to God, they're singing his praises, and, excuse me, some of them, they're just lamenting, they're crying, they're yelling out to God. It's okay to go to God with your request. And at the beginning, Job does that, but somewhere in there, that seed of this is my cause starts to take root and flourishes when it shouldn't. And so we get to go to God with our request. And so I want to look at 2 Corinthians 12, really 7 through through 10. And these verses, these verses, I think, saved me when my dad was suffering. That when I watched my dad suffering, these were the verses that I clung to and I had to cling to because I saw Paul struggling with this saying, I've done nothing wrong. I have done nothing to deserve this. Why is this pain happening to me? Why is this pain potentially happening to other people? I don't, I don't understand. And then we're going to get the response that Jesus gives him. So we're going to see this. We're going to see the apostle Paul go to God with his request in 2 Corinthians 12, seven through eight. There's this long thing. And, and Paul goes to heaven and comes back and he sees some things that nobody else seen. And it's a, and he's like, maybe I did it. Maybe I didn't. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it wasn't. It's, it's kind of funny reading Paul just um, kind of ramble on. Um, <laughs> and not like, you know, anybody who does that. Second Corinthians 12, seven through eight says this, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. All right. Now, what I love about this passage is we don't know what that is. Maybe the apostle Paul's dad was dying from cancer. Maybe there was a plague going on in one of the cities and, and they didn't understand medicine and science. They didn't know what was going on. Maybe it was his eyesight. Maybe it was problems in the church. It could have been any number of things. But I'm telling you right now, whatever your thing is, whatever that thing is that you suffer from, it's right here. It's on these pages. This is what Paul's dealing with. Verse 8 says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. This isn't just, I'm praying. Nope, it didn't, he didn't answer it the way I wanted to. I prayed again. He didn't answer it. I, I really believe, and from everything I've been able to read from commentaries, these are seasons. These are lengths of praying that this thing would be removed. And so Paul prays that this thing would be removed and prays and prays and prays, and God just simply doesn't answer that prayer the way that he wants it to be. He doesn't take that thing away. And so Paul says, okay, I can, I can do this. I, I, can, I can live with this thing. And a season goes on and he realizes I can't do this. And he prays again and that goes back and forth, back and forth. But then the second point of how not to develop a demanding spirit is go to God with your request, but then trust and have faith, right? Trusting and having faith is completely opposite of, de of a demanding spirit. A demanding spirit says, you owe this to me. I will be vindicated. This is the opposite to trust, to have faith. And again, what exactly what Jesus says here? 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he, but Jesus, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Hey, Paul, hey, whoever's watching this, that thing you're suffering with, I'm not going to answer the prayer that you want me to answer. I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. And while you may remain suffering, I'm going to die for your sins. Mm. 
the third point here of how to develop a demanding spirit, go to God with your request, trust and have faith, the opposite of a demanding spirit, and then submit to his ways. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm suffering. I'm going through the ringer right now. But I want you to know that my Savior loves me and he died for my sins. And even though, as we just sang in that hymn, even though my life might perish, this feeble, weak body might perish, I live and my Redeemer lives. I will now delight for Christ's sake in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, then I'm strong. I want to close with that quote. I've read this a few times now, but a quote from C.S. Lewis from the book, The Problem of Pain. He says this, we can rest contentedly in our own sins and in our stupid, stupidness, sorry, stupidities, and everyone who has watched Glutton shoveling down the most exquisite foods as if they did not know that they were eating, right? We just, when we're, we're in a happy place where we're in a joyous place, even Glutton shoving the food, it's like, hey, I've been there sinning, but yet it's not that crazy. It's like, hey, whatever. We will admit that we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists upon being attended to. I have, not, I have no other response than to cry out. He says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscious, consciousness, but he shouts in our pains. And it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I'm telling you right now, I've got neighbors that live around me that are older, that are more susceptible to this sickness. And by me loving my neighbor, by saying, hey, I might actually get sick in this. I might actually get exposed to something that I would rather not be exposed to. It shouts to them, I love them, the same way that Christ loved them. Sorry, I'm pointing my finger at the camera. I, I don't have an audience, okay? Forgive me. So in gospel application, do you worship do you worship God because you love him or because of his blessing? I've asked that every week, and I have to keep asking that. And secondly, have you developed, developed a demanding spirit in the midst of suffering? If that's something that's happened previously, let's confess that. Confess that individually. If it's something you're going through now, where are you at in that journey of Job, of developing that spirit, and how can we then give that back to Christ and glory in his grace?